0: Here at Farm Policy Facts, we celebrate the hard work of our farmers every day. And we recently celebrated a particularly special day. National Farmer Day is a well-deserved day of praise for the American farmer and farm family. But the mood across the heartland right now is far from celebratory. Commodity prices remain low, farm bankruptcies and volatility are remaining high. Trade disputes have tightened important export markets now more than ever, our farmers need our support. Joining me for this episode of Groundwork to talk about the many challenges in farm country is Brian Thalman. Brian is a fifth generation farmer from Minnesota and chairman of the Minnesota Corn Growers Association, a great organization. Brian, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Yes, I appreciate being asked to be a part of this today, Tom. Uh, I am a proud fifth generation farmer, as you mentioned. Our ancestors settled here in South Central Minnesota in 1877. So we're entering our 142nd year on this site. And uh, Having a family in your own operation is is very special. My father is semi-retired, but he's still fairly involved and my wife and I have three kids and our middle son is completing his studies in Ag Business Management and Operations and he'll be joining the operation full-time next April, so
0: Tremendous. having
1: three generations together is is great, and it helps give me some perspective as, as I represent our uh, fine farmers here in Minnesota and the Minnesota corn growers, knowing others have the same situation I do. There's, there's such a, a tie and, and love for the land, so you like to make sure we're doing things that can help for generations to come.
0: No doubt, that's perfectly said. And nineteen has been such a wild year. Obviously, we all read, we saw all the news about the massive flooding in the spring, the difficulties in getting the crop planted. We're now to October, the fall. This is harvest season. How's it? How's it looking out there right now?
1: Well, we're still behind. Uh, we've got a two thousand acre corn and and soybean farm, and that is the, the two main crops of most farms here in south-central Minnesota, unless they have some livestock and have you know, some acres diverted to, to uh, feed production. But everybody, including us, got off to a, a late start. We'd like to be planted uh, by the middle of May, have everything completed, and this year there's some corn in by then, but most crops weren't completed until into June. So as the growing season went on, we were kind of holding our own, and then we had some cooler weather in August, which further delayed maturity. So yeah. Right now, we'd like to have, you know, half or more of the soybeans harvested, but there's probably less than 5% of the beans harvested in the area and, and virtually no corn. With the cold weather, the cold and wet weather that we're having here in the next few days, that's not going to help get these crops any further along. So we hopefully could pass this and look at the second half of October to be much better than the first half, we hope.
0: No doubt, no doubt. So, you guys obviously are experienced. We all deal with weather risks every year. This year has been an exceptional year. Our hearts are all with, particularly the farmers out west, getting covered in this blanket of of snow and early snow in October. The American farmer is experienced though, and incredible at dealing with those rather re- weather risks and being amazingly productive year after year. The other risks, obviously, we deal with are more policy oriented risks, and certainly in the midst of the trade war, uh, farmers have been as even said by President Trump, the the tip of the spear. So, Brian, you recently made the news for sharing with Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue comments about the tough times farmers are having. Give our listeners some insight into the challenges Minnesota farmers are facing right now.
1: Well, as recent years have gone by, we have been uh, living with your year-after-year decline in commodity prices, and yeah. we know things are cyclical, but usually you, you bottom for a period and you go back up or even during the year, you have some cycles and that hasn't been happening. And the predictability of those cycles uh, has not been there. So it's, it's been you know, very challenging to find a place. There's, there's always a, a couple of, of slight periods of time where you can maybe market a crop at a small profit, but it's, it's hard to know when you're going to have that. And yeah. so that's been one challenge. The, the next large challenge has been with the, the markets, and that again comes back to the, or the, uh, the export, which comes back to the market price. But um, as current administration looks at renegotiating a lot of the trade agreements, that's put some more uncertainty in the market. And then on the corn side, the biofuels has been a huge portion of the, uh, the market for corn bushels here in Minnesota and the Midwest and the biofuels industry has been struggling the renewable fuel standard hasn't been followed to the letter of the law which has created more uncertainty so you just start stacking one uncertainty upon another and the whole time cost for everything you know especially equipment and so on and repairs and parts you know keeps going up so the farmer just continues to get a little more squeezed year after year after year and it is really you know, was coming to a head. And, and this summer, we really saw it come to a head, I think, when the last round of the exemptions were granted for the uh, soil refiners. Farmers kind of said, enough is enough. And that's when some of the uproar started.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, it reminds me, I think it was President Kennedy, I know it was President Kennedy that, that said those that famous kind of phrasing that the farmer is the one person in the economy who buys retail, sells wholesale, and Pays the freight both ways. It all kind of comes back to prices. And as you said, Brian, we're now in the sixth year of low, degraded prices, uh, a function of oversupply relative to the demand. But it really made this situation with the trade war that, that, that cut off certain exports and the questions on biofuels uh, that, that affected demand for, for corn. Um, it really had an outsized impact this year that I think has, has just really increased the level of anxiety in the country. Is that a fair assessment?
1: That's a very fair assessment. Generally, markets do correct themselves. And you know we always say the best cure for low prices is low prices. You know, The longer prices are down, there's going to be users out there that might be using a competing product, but they're going to say, well, if we can procure this product in its place, we'll start doing that, or mm-hmm. new uses will be found. And that starts bringing prices back up. And uh, comparatively, even best gear for high prices is high prices. And prices are high, demand starts to <laughs> curtail. But because of all the trade uncertainties, other buyers and other countries that may have in the past taken advantage of these lower prices for various reasons have not stepped up to the plate. And that has been unfortunate because it's it's not the. Entire carryout of our crop—it's just the increased carryout over what average levels would be—that's hanging over our heads. So if we can just do something to trigger additional demand. That's going to help. You know, it's—it's it's unfortunate this year with the the bad weather conditions that we had across the Midwest. That a lot of farmers had to, you know, suffer the challenges and not getting some fields planted and so on. Thankfully, the problems kind of were shared you know in in most states so that did curtail production some had we had a perfect planning year in 2019 you know we'd have much bigger challenges than than what we do now
0: yeah no doubt about it and and the support i mean brian i I actually i loved the way that that you phrased a question and explained the 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 level anxiety in the field to secretary purdue when when you kind of asked the, the the pregnant question when are we going to make farmers great again? We do have to give them credit, uh, Secretary Purdue, particularly credit for the MFP2, you know, the the disaster package that moved through Congress uh, to try and address some of those planning woes. And what kind of real help is that providing uh, in the field? Could you just tell our listeners kind of the real impact of that uh, uh, on your farming operation?
1: Yes. You talk to every one of my neighbors and they're going to say they would like to get the revenue for their farmer operation from the market and that's where it should come from. Yeah. That being said, when there's the trade and the tariff issues that are completely beyond anybody's local control, um, you know, the market facilitation payment has been a great um, plug. I use the word it's it's a it's another bandy and a pretty big wound that we're still yeah. dealing with, but it can help, and it can help make a difference. You know, if there's loan payments that are overdue, there's some dollars that you can get to the bank and you know catch up on some payments and so on. So, um, you know, it was very much appreciated, and and I made that very clear at FarmFest. Yeah, uh, we had you know, Chairman uh, Peterson from I mean, the House Ag Committee on yeah. the panel, along with Secretary Perdue, and I I thank both of them and you know, the rest of their team for all their their dedication and unwavering support. But I just went into passing the message along that my fellow members are telling me that needed to be passed along to the respective people that they're dealing with in in Washington.
0: You bet. I mean, I thought it was very sincere and very real and and honestly very helpful for the process, just to be honest in that way. So let's talk a little bit uh, about ethanol. So last month, Minnesota Governor Tim Walz visited your farm uh, and he announced the formation of the Minnesota Biofuels Council. Minnesota has always been a trailblazer. It was a Minnesota miracle when it comes to ethanol and the promotion of biofuels infrastructure, largely due to the efforts of, uh, I say this because I admire you all so much, the Minnesota Corn Growers Association. So tell us a little bit about the work MCGA has done and continues to do at the state level to promote the, uh, the ethanol industry there in Minnesota.
1: Well, over the years, the corn growers have used the uh, research dollars available through the corn checkoff, every bushel of the corn that's sold in the state of Minnesota, one penny per bushel goes to our Corn Research Promotion Council, and that is the two main jobs in the title, to research new uses and expanded uses for current products, and then to to promote uh, the the use and the, the marketing of these products. So a lot of dollars, to the tune of millions of dollars, have been invested into ethanol uh, use, and then along with the ethanol, we'd be remiss not to say that as we produce that uh, gallon of ethanol from kernel of corn, we're only using the starch to produce the ethanol. Yeah. All the other nutrients are left. They go into a product called Dry Distiller's Green, and that is a very high value sought after uh, livestock feed product. So we're producing yeah. both ethanol and, and uh, the livestock feed from the kernel of corn. So we also did a lot of research funding to find better ways for our friends, in the livestock industry, to utilize to the full benefit that uh, DDG product. All that work has helped to expand the the ethanol industry. We've got about 20 ethanol plants in our state, and I like to call them biofuel, uh, refinery biofuel uh, production sites, because um, we're, you know, producing more more than just the ethanol, we're pulling out uh, the DDGs, now we're pulling out corn oil, and that, that can be used for biodiesel or used for, uh, for human food uses, so a lot of great products coming, but it takes groups like the Minnesota Corn Growers to follow those research dollars and to help the industry keep moving forward.
0: Yeah. So... Uh, it,
1: it really is an impressive just
0: Brian, let me just uh, please don't start making shirts that are going to compete with our cotton growers. Just kidding about that. But um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, so a lot of announcements lately, um, uh, both on the ethanol front, uh, on the trade policy front, uh, a deal with Japan, um, I, I guess increasing prospects for a vote on USMCA in the fall or in November, December timeframe. Obviously, the, the president is meeting with the chief negotiator for China in Washington, D.C. today after what appears to be a productive week on the uh, trying to find some breakthrough on the Chinese trade front. Tell me, from your perspective, what, what, what makes you most hopeful? Uh, obviously, I know you're concentrated on getting your production in and increasing productivity on your farm year to year. But from a farm policy perspective... Uh, what makes you more hopeful at this point or what, what are your points of hope? I know there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of anxiety in the country, but what are some things that you're taking hope in
1: right now? We need certainty and we've gotten certainty you know, with the signing of the Japanese trade agreement. Yep. Um, we have some certainty with the you know, market facilitation payments. So that again is helping in a small yep. way or everything helps. Yeah. But the certainty of having the USMC agreement signed is, is huge. There's certain segments of the ag industry that are going to see some stronger gains. In many cases, we've had a pretty good system in place for connecting with our friends in Canada and Mexico. So again, I kind of got dragged through these negotiations, but you know, farmers now said, let's just get back to the status quo. And and make sure that we have continued relations for years to come uh, with our neighbors. So getting that complete and something with China, I'm not gonna hold, I hope there's gonna be one agreement signed. that we can come to some agreement. I wish we could take the food part out. I don't like to see food being used as a, a negotiating tool. Yeah. And I had read recently that maybe there'd be a partial agreement with China if we could just pull Pull the food out, and you know, which would be the, the grain, and the ag part out. Um, let's not penalize anybody in the world that you know has a need for our product, and you've got the people in their country that that rely on this for nutrition. But let's at least get agreement there, and and let that part work, and we might find if if people are uh, well fed, that maybe a little easier to negotiate with too. Beyond China, but you know, there's other countries too that are kind of holding back, but. They don't want to get caught up in a trade dispute if they have a a market set up and then suddenly the rug gets pulled out from under them. So let's keep getting some certainty back and we can start moving forward.
0: I love that, Brian.
1: Uh, I love that you articulated
0: what I know to be the the heart of every farmer I know, which is, you know, food should be available and, and, and we should have plenty. And we can all make better decisions that way. And it should never, never be used as a negotiating tool, as a, as something to to actually injure people, um, uh, you have just stated the heart of the American farmer very well there, Brian Thal. Never argue with someone on an empty stomach. I think they always say. That's right. That's right. I tell you, America's farmers and ranchers help feed uh, and fuel our nation. Obviously, the entire world. They work long hours, hard days to provide for our families, and while rural America is resilient, we must continue to stand by our farmers. Thank you to all of our farmers for everything you do. That's it for this episode of Groundwork. Be sure to check out other episodes at farmpolicyfacts.com. I'm Tom Sell.